0: Now it's time for Tracy Martin from the New Zealand First Party.
1: Yes, that's right. Welcome back, everybody. This morning I had my weekly chat with New Zealand First Minister Tracy Martin. We talked firstly about the party's opposition to the one hundred million dollar Southland recovery package, and then we moved on to talk about charging Kiwis returning from overseas for their mandatory managed isolation. And then another hot topic among lots of MPs at the moment is, is the potential of a code of conduct. And lastly, some regional funding to tackle methamphetamine use, which has been announced by the government. We began talking, though, about why the party voted against the $100 million Southland recovery package, which does mean that it will unlikely go through before the next election. Here's Tracey with that.
0: It's not that New Zealand First doesn't back it. What we're saying is it's not enough. Um, and the Right Honourable went down and obviously had a uh, public meeting with regard to TY Point. And, if I'm, and again, I'm pulling numbers out of my head here. But if I recall correctly, that pulls in something like $500 million into that economy, whether directly or indirectly through um, you know, families and then family spending in local areas, etc. Now, a $100 million transition package is not going to fill that hole. And uh, it reminds us of what happened on the West Coast uh, when Helen Clark went and said, "Okay, well, we're going to start to um, take away your opportunity to do extraction. So we're going to give you this package here and that'll shift you onto something else. Mostly, I guess it shifted them onto tourism, which as right now, it's not looking so flash, is it? So that's really what New Zealand First's perspective is, is it's not that we're opposed to providing Southland with $100 million to start a process. It's not enough. And you can't just give them a $100 million envelope and walk away if they lose something as, um, you know, sort of cornerstone in their community as TY Point.
1: Right, yeah. And how does this tie into also New Zealand First's stance on TY Point? Because I understand the party was quite vocal about not wanting to lose those 2,500 jobs.
0: Well, I think there's two sides to this conversation. I mean, um, and again, this is one of the benefits of having, I suppose, a politician who's been around for a while. He, um, Winston Peters actually recalls the original deal and had the piece of legislation, the original piece of legislation um, that was... Uh, just prior to Muldoon I think or just at the beginning of the Muldoon um, era that set the charging regime what what TY Point and their owners should have been able to expect from a a power price Um, and then again if I recall correctly from his contribution there and it might be that um, people need to hunt out his um, speech um, Robert Muldoon changed that criteria and loaded the power price which actually then changed the whole Um, the whole way that the owners of TY or whatever had to manage that cost. Um, The point that the Right Honourable has been making is that we definitely need a plan to, um, to give Southland the opportunity to be less dependent upon this industry. But you cannot do it as quickly as what people are suggesting now. Um, and we have had this conversation again and again and again, other governments have, when you know, the owners of TY have said, we're leaving. So every now and then they say, we're leaving. Um, and no government has actually decided to get in there and make a real plan for if and when TY does go. Um, and what New Zealand First is saying is, we need to get in, we need to make a deal um, with TY now, to make sure that we're able to manage those 2,500 or whatever jobs and we also got to stay in the game and manage down their dependence upon this one particular industry.
1: And so if we were to move on to our second topic now with Mm -hmm. mandatory managed isolation, how does New Zealand First feel about returning Kiwis having to pay for mandatory managed isolation? Mm -hmm. And I believe that $3,000 is the number that National uh, came up with that's currently being thrown around.
0: Um, well, um, the Honourable Megan Woods is actually going to make an announcement around about 1 o'clock today, so there's only so far that I'm going to go with this particular topic. New Zealand First has been very vocal in the fact that um, we believe that New, New Zealanders offshore were given an awful lot of notice by the Minister of Foreign Affairs and by Foreign Affairs and Trade to return to New Zealand before we, you know, it got to this level. So, um, and before we went to shut our borders. They were given a reasonable amount of notice and should have taken that advice. Uh, What we've got now is we've got New Zealanders who are returning, and that is their right, who are returning, who haven't paid taxes for a number of years in this country. Um, And the current taxpayers have paid, and I'm now again struggling around for the figure, but if I recall the conversation I had with Megan Wood's on Monday, it's close to 300 million or something at least that the current taxpayers um, are paying out or will have paid out by the end of this year to manage this, um, the quarantine in isolation. Now, we know we have to do it, but New Zealand first perspective is we believe that there uh, needs to be a contribution from those, who are, those New Zealanders who are now returning. We understand that there needs to be a way for this to be done so that it's not a barrier to those who don't happen to have whatever that amount of money is in their back pocket. Uh, But we believe there is a way to do that. Um, But, as I say, there's going to be an announcement around 1 o'clock today, so I'd rather sort of not get into any more detail than that.
1: Okay, that sounds all right. Then maybe we could park that issue there and move on to um, the Code of Conduct which I yeah. understand that Trevor Mallard, the Speaker of the House, has proposed a code of conduct, which has been committed to by Labor, the Greens and National has also spoken out in favour. How does New Zealand First, or also just you personally as an MP, yeah. feel about a code of conduct for MPs?
0: So I was New Zealand First representative on that um, working group and, um, and it's been obviously, it's been ongoing since the Francis report. I find it very interesting that those three parties have come out publicly now. Um, to say that they support. I think that's very interesting, considering the conversations I sat in. Um, and so here's New Zealand first perspective on this. Uh, Z- Everybody should be able to go to work and not be frightened and feel safe. So that's just a given, right? We feel that um, parliamentary services and ministerial services, HR departments, have let down the public servants that they have supposed to have been caring for. And so over the number of years, it's never been written that um, the HR departments of parliamentary services or ministerial services are not allowed to speak to an MP if their behaviour is inappropriate or not allowed to speak to a a leader of a political party. They have always had that ability if a complaint is taken to them by a staff member. Um, It has been the way that they have dealt with things that have meant that staff have not felt, always felt as supported as they should be. Um, so it's a little, it, from my perspective as the person sitting there, there's a level of extreme that has been reached during those code of conduct conversations rather than actually saying in the first instance to HR here, step up into your job and do your job and protect your staff um, and the staff in this place. Make sure that um, MPs know that just because you're an elected official, you don't get to treat people badly. And if that MP cannot take that on board, then go to their party leader. Now, let's go beyond that. Let's say the party leader doesn't do anything either. One of the proposals that's been put forward is to have an independence complaints commissioner sitting here on the precinct and that they would go and do an investigation and then they would table a report in the House. I would like to have a further conversation, though, around would, how would the public feel about that? Do we need to create another role inside the parliamentary precinct for that, or does the ombudsman, who was always a judge, does the ombudsman actually should they carry a level of responsibility there? They table reports in the house also, um, and would the public the public has a high level of confidence in the ombudsman, um, so. Would that not be, build on the confidence the public already has and have the ombudsman as the last port of call for a complaint if no action was taken by MP, well HR MP party leader and then the ombudsman table his report or her report in the House around that. So I guess what you can see is New Zealand First is not opposed to a code of conduct, absolutely not opposed to treating people properly. We just don't think that going to another extremity and creating another role inside of Parliament that the taxpayer will pay for is necessarily the answer to this problem.
1: Right, yeah, and another thing that people have been coming out and saying is just, I mean, it seems like some of these things should just be basic You know, common sense. Like, we've got things like to act respectfully and professionally, behave fairly and genuinely, treating others the way we'd like to be treated. I mean, some of those things are things that we're taught in primary school, you know. I know,
0: And there's absolutely, and this is my other point, there's absolutely no rule that stops that poster, the Code of Conduct, that poster, as you say, with what are sensible ways to treat, for one human being to treat another, to go up around Parliament tomorrow. It doesn't require political parties to agree to it or not. They are basic human decencies. So they could run off those posters tomorrow and put them up all around Parliament. Um, It's not going to change anybody's behaviour unless HR starts to step up, unless those other things happen. And those things could all happen now without a big drama around people signing up to stuff, right? It's just the last little bit around the ombudsman that would that would be um, the bit that would need to be worked out. But everything else I just mentioned, they could do now.
1: Mm. And I think it's interesting what you said also there about timing because obviously this was in response to the bullying of Debbie Francis and the Francis mm. report, but it, it is interesting that the conversations of code of conduct, we're seeing them suddenly emerging now in, in regards now. to a different kind of misconduct, I guess.
0: Well, I mean, I think, have a have a think about what started the Francis Report. So you have to go back to Jamie Lee Ross and what started the Francis Report um, and then come forward. And, uh, you know, you're right, it has been crazy here. And i got to say, I must be one of the most naive members of this House because, and I must just spend far too much time at my desk doing my job because I knew nothing about the stuff that was going on you know, with regard to this person having an affair with that person or whatever, whatever. Um, and and didn't with Jamie Lee Ross either. Um, it fascinates me that people just can't, I don't know where they find the time. They should be at their desk doing their job and then none of this stuff would happen.
1: Thank you. I just had one last question regarding the new government funding announced uh, $20 million mm. for regional schemes to tackle methamphetamine use. Yeah. And I was just aware of your portfolios as the Minister of Family and Children. I mm-hmm. wondered if you could speak about the impact that would have from, from that perspective. Oh,
0: God. I mean, like, it's so... There are five, well, like four major reasons that children come into the care of the state. Drug addiction, and it's methamphetamine. Um, alcoholism, family violence, and sexual violence, right? Um, so, myth has become—I mean, it's it's just everywhere, through insidiously everywhere throughout our society. Um, and if I think about Waitomo Papakaianga and Katie Murray and what she's trying to do with her team up there, um, they are the they are the social service providers um, right up in the far north. And um, this money, some of this money is actually going to go to them. She has, they have no addiction services up there, right? So um, so she's got a team of social workers that they could then use this money to actually train up their social workers to be drug, uh, drug and alcohol counsellors. So they can, be, they are then able to provide, um, you know, this the addiction counselling and the addiction services that they so badly need. Um, and, and, you know, they're not the only place in New Zealand that is struggling to get access to what are the services that those individuals need. But um, and the, the biggest thing about P is, you know, just not even once. Just not even once. It's a horrible, horrible thing, methamphetamine. Um, and, uh, you know, it just destroys people and therefore destroys families. That was Tracy Martin from the New Zealand First Party, The Wire.